All right, welcome to Pop Ranks, where we rank the best of pop culture. I am your co-host, Eric Wickstrom. And I'm your other co-host, Scott Carroll. And this week, we're doing a nice deep dive into the work of John Hughes, specifically his directed movies. Yeah, he only directed eight movies. Yeah, right. He's got such an extensive resume, I thought he directed more, but he actually only directed eight. Right, he has written dozens and dozens. And, and produced, uh, produced probably equally as many. Produced many, wrote many long extensive career uh, in the 80s into the 90s um prolific is a word i would use for for john hughes it's where it gets thrown around a lot but he was in fact prolific he started with national lampoon i think is kind of like the story yeah he went uh, i mean he went he i think he grew up in in illinois uh, well, actually, he was born in Lansing, Michigan. Uh, three sisters, three older sisters, which I think informed a lot of the characters he would yes. later write. But uh, moved around a lot. Eventually, I think he settled in Illinois, went to Glenbrook High School, um, which obviously high school gave him a lot of inspiration for what would become his eventual work. Uh, then eventually he went to the University of Arizona, dropped out, found he had a knack for writing comedy, so started getting, you know, odd jobs, writing jokes. He actually wrote jokes for uh, Rodney Dangerfield and Joan Rivers, okay. which I didn't know, doing a, a dive into his bio a little bit. Uh, and then, yeah, then eventually he found his way to New York and got a job writing for National Lampoon Magazine. Right. And then from there, I guess his first... I think the first thing, the first big thing he wrote was Mr. Mom. Uh, it was either Mr. Mom or it was, it might have been Vacation, National Lampoon's Vacation. I think, actually, I think the first screenplay he wrote, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think was National Lampoon's Class Reunion. Yes. Might have been his first. I'm sorry, like, I think his first, it was either Mr. Mom, right around the same time, Mr. Mom and National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah, and which was based on an article he wrote for National Lampoon Magazine. Correct. Called uh, Vacation 58, which right. became that. Right, That's about his tales, I think his vacations growing up. Yeah. Uh, that, I would say, of all the movies that his fingerprints are on, National Lampoon's Vacation, the first one, is my favorite. In fact, that is probably my favorite comedy of all time. Really? Really? Yeah. Okay. So I absolutely love that film. Uh, some of the other, again, he wrote, there's dozens of things he wrote. There's a whole bunch of stuff that was in development that never really saw the light of day, like Hollywood, that happens a lot. Things get bought and killed. There was one that was, I think it was, was it John Candy and in, in Stallone being, playing Neighbors or something? Or something. Oh, was it? That never, that, that was, that one's new to me. Yeah, I, 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 I could get that one wrong. It was Stallone and somebody, I think it was John Candy playing like Warring Neighbors and some kind of story, but uh, I thought that one, that one sounded like it might've been interesting. Okay. There's a couple, okay. there's a few that are a little bit out there, but nothing of total consequence. The ones, again, the ones there's, there's dozens of these. So I'm sure people have their own favorites, but in terms of the written buys, just to touch on it quickly, uh, Mr. Mom, we mentioned vacation, European vacation, Christmas, Christmas vacation. vacation. <laughs> so the whole first trilogy, again, yeah. European, probably the weakest of the three, but yeah. still, uh, still like it. Pretty in pink which is part of the Molly Ringwald trilogy that that he did along with 16 Candles and Breakfast Club yep. kind of came in between. There's some kind of wonderful, which actually I like a lot. I think that's... Yeah, I mean, we, we can talk about that another day. That was basically a redo of, of Pretty in Pink where she ends up with the right guy at the end, or in this case, she right. ends up with the right guy at the end. Right. Uh, the Great Outdoors, which I think is a really fun film, Dan Aykroyd. Home Alone. Home Alone. Let's, let's not forget Home Alone. Next on my list was Home Alone. Huge, I mean, probably his biggest hit. Probably, yeah. Probably his biggest hit that he was involved with. Although, well, we'll get into it with The Breakfast Club. In terms of return on investment, I think Breakfast Club is the biggest. Mm -hmm. uh, career Opportunities, 
which I think is an underrated one with a young Jennifer Connelly. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely better than I think people remember. Uh, Dutch, which, you know, I like Dutch. Not everybody liked Dutch, but I enjoyed Everyone it. Knew. Yep. And then Beethoven, the whole Beethoven yeah. series. Flubber. Flubber. Dalmatians. Yeah, um, and then some of the Disney stuff later yeah. on. Uh, but, I mean, that was the end of my list was Beethoven, I, you yeah. know, and that whole thing. So, again, prolific is the word. I have a special love in my heart for John Hughes. I worked in a video store in my youth, one that you find in, in a movie like Clerks, just a hole-in-the-wall, strip mall, just not, like, the furthest thing from a blockbuster you could get. And I'd worked there. I got a job at 16. I worked there through my 20s, through film school. And I worked there with some friends, uh, my friend Derek later on, but early on, my friends Glenn and Tara. And we, every weekend, would just, we'd work at the video library in Livingston, New Jersey, uh, owned by Eric Goldberg and then Rob Patton. And that's what, this is what we watched. Because yeah. you could only watch certain things in the store. It had to be PG. Hughes was good because some of the PGs probably should have been PG-13s. These days it would be, yeah. Yeah, these days it would be, uh, but, I mean, a lot of these movies was just, we watched a lot of this. We watched, you know, some of the Jim Carrey stuff, the Sandler stuff was out back then. Uh, when Harry Met Sally was a big one because it yeah. was exactly 90 minutes. We put it on at 8.30 on a Sunday. We closed at 10, and I watched, I've seen that movie 50 times. But the John Hughes stuff, I just watching these, like, I just, memories come flooding back, things I hadn't thought about in years. And it was a really, again, it was 30 years ago now, but... I have such a such a love for these films, as problematic as some of them are now. In, yeah, uh, I mean, as do them. I. I mean, for me, most of these films, you know, most of which I've seen, I saw in the theater when they came out. I was in high school and college pretty much during the heyday of John Hughes. Right. And 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 for me, growing up, I mean, most high school set movies up until the John Hughes era, mo most of them were just like very silly, slapsticky. Comedies about juvenile, juvenile delinquents or yeah. sex comedies like Porky's. Um, the only thing that maybe stood out from the crowd at that time was maybe Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Was a little, was a little more. Um, Even that though. Yeah, I mean, it had silly parts in it, but it also had some very dark stuff in it too. Yes. But, but then when John Hughes' stuff started coming out, I mean, there was a, his characters were very well written. There was a lot of things. I guess for me as a a teenager that you could relate to a lot of the high school stuff. It, it kind of felt like he was really speaking. To, to my generation at that time. And right. there, weren't, there weren't a lot of other auteurs, for lack of a better right. word, that were uh, putting out stuff that was a little more, while, while still comedic, still had a lot of serious themes. Right, and again, the kids, uh, the teenagers, they sounded like teenagers. They, did, they yeah. weren't written by adults to make them, you know, it sounded fake. Like, it's very, very authentic sounding yeah. characters. Um, you know, stories that had a female at the lead, Molly Ringwald, obviously, she was his muse, unquestionably, for for the early stretch of his movies, and even his other ones that we, he wrote. A lot of a lot of female characters in the lead, which is unusual for even now. It's unusual, but back then, especially so. Yeah. Um, but yeah, those early '80s, it was mostly raunch, Porky's, <laughs> and Fast Times, and The Last American Virgin. Which Last American Virgin. No one ever talks about. It's a fantastic, <laughs> a very underrated movie. Extremely underrated. We'll get to that another. End of another. that movie is. Heartbreaking, but <laughs> but brutally honest, and yes, yes, we should probably yeah. get into that another date. So, so uh, so talking about John Hughes again. Th these movies are of a time and place. They took place in the eighties. A lot of the, the a lot of the language used in these films is true to the time. Stuff you wouldn't say today. 
describing people, uh, mentally challenged people, and uh, be very disabled people, very politically incorrect, by gay people. Standards. Like, there's a lot of things in these films that that wouldn't hold up today, um, and we'll get more into that as we go. But so I guess going through these in order, as Scott said earlier, there's only eight of them. Which, again, to your point, I was surprised when we started deep diving, like how many of these there were. That there were only eight, just because he's his fingerprints and name is on so many. Yeah, I mean, things. so many of these I've watched countless times, right. again and again. There's there's a few I hadn't seen in a while, so I went back and kind of revisited just to refresh my memory right. a little bit. Uh, some of them hold up a little better than yeah. others. <laughs> I can quote these again for the experience working in the video store. I can quote these all day, every day. Some some of the quotes I can't actually say out loud anymore, else I get canceled. <laughs> but I I know them by heart. So his first movie in 1984, the first one he directed at least, was Sixteen Candles, which is probably the most problematic. Also, yeah, I mean Breakfast Club has its issues with the, the John Bender character. Yeah, we'll I would, I would that. agree that Sixteen Candles, there's some stereotypy stuff in it for yes. sure. Yeah, some some of the. I, I guess for family audiences, it wouldn't be exactly be a film I would show like the whole family. It's it's definitely geared, as you said, probably these days, probably the PG thirteen forward. Right, so. right, and even then, it's um, you know, the, so the the issues with Sixteen Candles, the character of Lawn Duck Dong, which Dong. is yeah. <laughs> The gong, which I did laugh last night when I was watching the gong, yeah. but they used it too much. Like, it was pretty funny the first time, honestly, and then it got a little played out quickly. But that character is highly problematic. It, there's not a lot of defending that character. Very, it's funny because, not funny, haha, but it's just funny. Like, a lot of his quotes, I remember growing up using them, uh, you know, with my friends talking. Certainly, a lot of the Asian kids we went to school with took a lot of abuse because yeah. of, of Long Duck Dong. Um, really a horrific character. The, you know, the whole storyline of the geek, Michael Anthony Hall, who was great in this film, probably the best character in the film. Yeah, and who actually first appeared in Vacation, written by John Hughes. So that yes. was like, I think that might have been his first real movie role. I yeah, think. he had done some commercials and things like yeah. that. So um, now he actually got to be a little more front and center. He was supposed to do more years. Hughes films, which we'll talk about as we yeah. go, but he turned them down uh, in fear of getting typecast. But... He, uh, that character's pretty well put together. Molly Ringwald is 15 in this movie. She's great in this movie. Yeah, made her a star when this movie came out. And rightfully so. Yeah. She was fantastic. Uh, Jake Ryan, who is the big love interest. I was just saying, Scott off air. What a dud. <laughs> what a dud that guy yeah, is. Yeah, he's, he, you don't quite get the attraction. I mean, he's, he's, I guess he's a good attraction. looking guy. He's a good looking guy. But, I mean, I'm a, you, you know, know. personality wise, you don't quite see what beyond the physicality, what, yeah, the, the appeal is he's not he's not particularly larger than life. In this, you know, it's in funny because he's he is super handsome, the guy. And I remember, you know, you know, again, there's some of the, the girls I worked with at the video store. Jake Ryan, that name carried weight in the <laughs> 80s. You know, he's such a Jake Ryan. That's what you were talking about. Like, he's a handsome guy. But, you know, the, the actor who played Jake Ryan, I don't know what offhand his name, but he kind of disappeared. And, he didn't really have a big. He didn't have a big career. And at all. for as popular as that character was, you thought he would have had a little bit more legs. He popped up in Vision Quest a couple of years later, right? But I don't know how much of a good actor he was, and the character really is a dud. I mean, really, there's nothing going on there. It's just a really boring character. But he is cute, and he is handsome. Uh, why? It's not real clear to me why he's attracted to her. Again, it's he was the first movie. Yeah. It doesn't really. 
It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It's not high on my list. Let's put it that yeah. way. There were a couple of big laughs. I like the scenes with her and her grandparents when they come to visit. I thought those, those were, were great. Those were high. All the stuff with Anthony Michael Hall. I, great. I think he steals, and rightly so, he steals the movie 100. He 100%. Right. He steals the movie, and uh, the, the gentleman playing Long Duck Don steals the movie. Uh, again, not the subject matter, not great, but the actor committed to it. And, uh, you know, those are the things people talk about in that movie, I think, uh, the most. Yeah. Um, the interesting thing with going back through John Hughes's filmography is when you, you start watching the films back to back is how many actors he would reuse yes. from film to film. They kind of became like his little repertoire company. Yeah. So to speak. Very much Not an so much always the leads. Although there were, you know, Molly Ringwood would come back, yeah. Anthony Michael Hall. Um, but, you know, a lot of the supporting cast. Yeah, definitely, definitely an auteur, definitely, you know, that's, you know, again, great stuff throughout. But uh, this one, again, the, so Jake trades, uh, the geek trades the pair of panties for yeah, the that girl. that wouldn't fly today. That wouldn't fly today. And then the end is very, very left to the, you know, imagination. Did they or didn't they have sex, which is really a weird plot line. Because, again, I don't know how much beer that geek would have to drink to... Forget that. Yeah. Like, he's not yeah. that hungover the next morning, and I think that would have been the highlight of his life. So <laughs> that doesn't play. Again, uh, I think we're done with 16 Candles for now, but, yeah. like, it's just definitely it's problematic. It's entertaining watch. It's of its time. Yes. It's it, definitely worth watching, you know, particularly if you like Molly Ringwald. It, like, yes. It's the first, this movie that kind of put her on the map. She was, like, the, the teen queen for, right. for a while. It's the one that started it all, yes. but definitely not my favorite of the John Hughes uh, projects. Um, next up. Yeah, we flash forward a year to one of my favorite films of all time, The oh, Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. So this is not my favorite John Hughes movie. However, I will say if you were going to make a time capsule of the 1980s and you had to pick a movie to put in there, uh, this certainly would be on the short list of the films you put in. This this captures the decade. This captures the the youth of the decade. This is his, you know, this is his defining movie. Yeah, I think this is the one that kind of set his unique voice in motion. Realistic characters, a lot of heart, a lot of heartbreaking stuff. Um, for those of you who've maybe not familiar with The Breakfast Club, different generation, essentially it's uh, five high school students are going in to serve detention on a Saturday, and the the students themselves are all kind of archetypes. They was done yeah. intentionally so. You've got a, a jock, an athlete, you've got a brain, a prom queen, kind of a social misfit, and uh, basically kind of like a juvenile delinquent. A burnout. Yeah. Yeah. They, call them, they call them a criminal right. <laughs> in, the, in the movie. So it's right. those five kind of put into an enclosed space serving detention and how the dynamics of that group interplay with each other all from different backgrounds grew up differently have different high school experiences and it's just their interaction it's a lot like a stage play yes you could, i don't know if they've ever turned it into a stage play it could certainly become it, one it very certainly easily. again I, I i remember years ago researching it i think hughes wrote it all basically in a day yeah the first draft i mean that's amazing what's yeah. what's on screen now is, is is much wildly different than than what was that there was stuff cut out of it obviously there was a scene apparently where the principal is is spying on the female gym teacher skinny dipping in the lap pool. Yeah, I think I read that, yeah. yeah. Which I think Molly Ringwald fought to have cut out, which would have And been... it wouldn't fit with the final film. It wouldn't fit with the tone. Yeah, it's just a weird choice, so I'm glad somebody made the decision to cut that out. Um, you know, the character of Bender, the burnout, the delinquent, the, the, whatever, the criminal, he is problematic. He is wildly uh, abusive towards Molly Ringwald's character. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and doesn't doesn't really ever apologize 
for any of his behaviors, just get kind of gets away with it and gets the girl in the end. It's a very, you know. Yeah, I mean, you have to suspend a little bit of disbelief. I mean, you have to spend a lot of disbelief that their antics will take place in one day. I find that you'll, we'll get into that with another film in a second. Yeah, how how the logistics. Well, Hughes things. very much uh, this you know is a theme throughout. It, all of his movies usually take place between you know a couple three days, yeah. one to three yeah. days, very short time frames. I would we'll talk about it as we get further down this list. The ones that take uh, take place over a longer stretch are actually his weakest. I think so. Yeah, I think that that's not a coincidence. I think he's very adept at working in in smaller time frames for his story structures. But yeah, this, there's just a lot of problematics. There's this scene where Bender winds up under the table and has his, puts his face between, uh, you know, Molly, Molly Ringwald's, uh, legs, which is, again, it's, it's, uh, it would never fly today. No, absolutely not. It, absolutely. it shouldn't, it shouldn't have flown back then, but it did in the eighties. Um, the scene where they all smoke weed. Yeah. Probably wouldn't fly today in a teenage, you know, PG or I guess it was rated R, the breakfast club was the language, but I believe so. Yeah. At the time. Yeah. There's a lot of language in it, but, um, but again, his time capsule film, if, uh, you know, if people say that's their favorite John Hughes film, I'm never going to question that it, it's yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, I, I, I loved it. I mean, it, it like I said, it's it, for being of that generation, it definitely spoke to me. I mean, it deals with a lot of the teen angst that everybody goes through during, you know, adolescence and growing up that, you know, and it, a lot of the characters deal with this, you know, they, they feel like they don't fit in, you know, the pressure put upon them to get good grades or to sell, excel in athletics or right. maybe like John Bender, they're just like, you know, they just had enough of it all and want to rebel and yeah. not, you know, do what they want. And, and that, that comes off a little strong at times, but, uh, but yeah, but it's, like I said, there, there's a lot of, you know, monologues in this that are, are really heartbreaking and very relatable, you know, when you, when you watch it, particularly the first time. And then it's got that killer song at the end, yes. by Simple Minds, which is a big hit still on the radio to this day. You can hear it at least once a day on the radio somewhere. Uh, don't right. you forget about me. So, so yeah, the, so before we move on to the next movie back in Hughes died, what year did Hughes die? Uh, Ooh, good question. Uh, 2009, I think. Yeah, 2009. 2009. Died young, 59 years old. He was apparently a heavy smoker. Wasn't a big drinker or drugger, but a heavy smoker. Came to New York City to visit his son and draw, you know, had a heart, massive heart attack. Took him to the hospital. He was pronounced dead. Died in New York City. So nine years later, Molly Ringwald uh, penned a op-ed, a, a, an article for The New Yorker called What About the Breakfast Club? And she goes after... It very framed very much in the whole Me Too movement at the time and really takes Hughes to task about the things we were just talking about in, in 16 Candles and The Breakfast Club, uh, the way that he wrote. It's a really fascinating article. It's available online. I would really recommend people look into it. She interviewed the 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 woman who played, I can't think of her name now, the, the girl in 16 Candles that gets traded for the pair of underwear Oh, yeah, actress-wise, I'm not sure off the top of my head. The character name was what? Do you remember? I'm, I'm blanking. No. I just watched this last night. I'm blanking. Yeah. But interestingly, they they actually disagreed uh, about the, you know, the, the woman playing that role did not feel as strongly as Molly Ringwald about that. It kind of felt, you know, that uh, the, the characters bore responsibility for their own actions. It's really a interesting, really interesting article. I wish Hughes had lived long enough to, to, you know, have taken part, you know, him and Molly could have 
sat down and interviewed yeah. and talked about it to each other. So uh, just unfortunately, almost a decade after he passed, this this was tackled. But I think, again, worthwhile to read. It's multiple points of view presented. It's fair. I think um, I think I was I think I went in expecting to be more defensive about it towards John Hughes just because again time yeah. and place. Sure. But at the end, I uh, I think I'm Team Molly on on the whole article. So I you know if you haven't read it and you're listening, uh, check it out. Again, it's called "What About the Breakfast Club?" Molly Ringwald, uh, New Yorker Magazine, 2018. Yeah. And little little side note, I went to a convention last fall. They had a Breakfast Club reunion. So I got to meet uh, four out of the five. Emilio Estevez, who played the jock, sadly didn't make it. But I did get to meet the other the other four uh, breakfast clubbers. That's so cool. That was that was fun. So that was fun. That's great. So yeah, I'm they're all they're all still. I mean, again, this cast. This is a long time ago. This movie going coming up on forty years ago, and they are all still working actors. Yeah, yeah. And and Emilio Estevez has gone on to be a, a pretty consistent director. Yeah, they're all working yeah. in Hollywood. They've all had long careers, uh, which is nice. A lot of times, teenagers will judge. John Nelson was 25 when he did The Breakfast Club, but yeah. but usually these young kids in Hollywood they burn out pretty quick. Yeah. Um, so like the, the Hames and the and the Feldmans yeah. and you know definitely the other kids of that era did not go on to have the prolonged yeah. sustainable career. And this was kind of the beginnings of the Brat Pack, also worth mentioning. Probably, yes. probably. I mean, you could argue 16 Candles, but I would say maybe more so with uh, this film, maybe Saint Elmo's Fire, that that Absolutely. collection of actors coming together would soon become known as the Brat Pack. A little right. riff on the Frank Sinatra, Dean Martin Rat Pack. They they became kind of like the the young actors of the day. So they got they got dubbed the Brat Pack. Right. So moving on, the third film up that he directed, which is kind Most of one bizarre. of my one of the more bizarre films. One of my guilty movie. pleasures. I actually really like this one. And again, I think this goes back to the video store and watching this with with Glenn all those years. Uh, Weird Science, <laughs> 1985. Again, uh, Anthony Michael Hall in the lead. Yeah, uh, Ian Mike, uh, Elon, Elon Michael Smith, I think. Elon, Elon. Not sure how you pronounce it. Yeah. Yes, and of course Mitchell Smith, Mitchell Smith, Elon. Uh, Bill Paxton, a very memorable Bill Paxton who steals this movie. Yes, in my opinion, the best part of the whole movie is Chet. <laughs> Fantastic, quotable again, just phenomenal. And then he plays Anthony Michael Hall's abusive military school older brother right who's home from military school and just makes his life a living hell right and yes it's fantastic in the movie and of course in the, the lead the actor Ke- kelly lebrock kelly lebrock who the woman in red did the woman in red uh, did weird science and then kind of stopped acting for five years and married steven seagal for some reason yeah married steven seagal did hard to kill with him right and then she kind of fell off the radar yeah they had some yeah. kids and uh and then i guess she kind of just retired into into that life yeah. uh but in this movie is just you know one of stunning stunning is the word for her in this movie uh absolutely I, it's it's weird to me that she only made a couple movies because she was i don't think people remember obviously they wouldn't listening most people but she was the it woman in hollywood yeah and just decided to the hell with it and that was it so yeah. weird science two geeks they uh they take a barbie doll and their computer and they they want to make a perfect woman yeah and frankenstein a woman and hijinks ensues and it's there's all this weird well the weird thing about it is that there's kind of like a bizarre supernatural element about it because they like I said, she kind of gets birthed out of the computer with like a lightning strike to the house, like you said, Frankenstein, and then she just kind of appears. How how she goes from a, you know a computer reality or virtual reality, whatever you want to call it, to being a flesh and blood, not human being, but a flesh and blood character. You know, don't think about it. Don't think too hard. 
it's just it's just something that happens. Yes. But she is obviously the in in their eyes the perfect woman that they've yes. created in every way, shape, or form. Right. And then she spends the movie kind of nurturing these two nerds along and kind of getting them to grow up a little bit, be responsible, be more. Um, I don't know what's what's how would you describe it? That would be just mature. I don't know. I don't know what the yeah they just to kind of <laughs> grow beyond themselves. She becomes their mentor. Let's yes. put it that way. Their mentor. Yes, and uh, and again, I I really like Weird Science. I think it's probably the strangest of them uh, that he's made. Definitely the most suspension of disbelief. It's not for everybody. It's you know the story uh, makes absolutely no sense. Whatsoever. None. But I I just I really do like this one. It's probably it's got a lot of laughs. Got a lot it of might laughs. be higher on my list than yours. We'll find out. But uh, I do enjoy that uh, weird science probably more than I should to be honest with you. The the next one is is going to be a lot of people's arguably maybe their favorite. Yeah, it's going to be you know this might be everybody's favorite. Nineteen eighty six. Eighty six. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Starring Matthew Broderick. Career-defining performance. Yes. Got the role because Michael Anthony Hall turned it down. That's right. Uh, didn't didn't take the role. I would question the thought process on that. But, yes, this one gave Matthew Broderick his career, for sure. He he had done some other things before this, but this well, is— Well, he'd done War Games with Ali Sheedy, one of the Breakfast yes. Club actresses, a uh, couple years before. Um, but, yeah, but this was, you know— Maybe his second starring role or, or major starring role. This was the one that the launched. Yes, him. absolutely. Um, and I, you know, I love Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I oh, so did I. Everybody did. I, were... This is, uh, I mean, I don't know where this finished on my rankings, but it's it's pretty high. Uh, it's it's it might even be like in the top two. I I do. I love this movie. Um, I mean, Everything a, about this. Yeah, I mean, it's also got a, you know, a stellar supporting cast. You've got Jennifer Grey. Yes. In one of her first, you know, pre-Dirty Dancing roles. Uh, Mia Sarah, who plays Ferris's girlfriend, Sloane. I mean, we all wish we had a girlfriend like Sloane. Uh, Alan Ruck, who Rooney. just finished up Succession, plays his friend uh, Cameron. And then there's also a, a very early appearance from Charlie Sheen, who pops up later. Very uh, early from Charlie Sheen. And, of course, uh, you know, Ed Rooney. Uh, Ed Rooney. What's who, what's his, the character's name? Uh, the character, uh, the guy, the no, I'm sorry, the, uh, uh, the Jeffrey, yeah, Jeffrey, something. I yeah. can't think of his last name. Who's had his own issues with the law? Yes. So yeah. he's, you know, he's gone away uh, for 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 good reasons. But uh, but everybody is perfectly cast in this, including the woman. I don't know. I should have looked up her name. Plays a secretary. She pops up in every one. Uh, Edie McClurg. Is that her name? Yeah, and she was she was part of the Hughes repertoire because she pops yes. up in a lot of other. She's in every one in of them films. Yep. You know, one of my favorite lines from this movie, oh, I can throw him out the window where he says, you shouldn't be throwing anybody. Yeah, with Jeffrey your... Jones. Jeffrey that Jones. Jeffrey Jones. Shouldn't be throwing anybody with your bad back. You know? <laughs> um, they call Ferris a righteous dude. Yeah, it's, I mean, this this, this is the one, you know, the, uh, what's his name? Uh, ben Stein playing yep. the uh, Bueller. teacher. Bueller. 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 There's so many quotable lines in this. Um, takes place in one day, which... Is impossible. I mean, that's that's what I was getting at with the logistics is, mo I mean, most of us would go to school like what, eight o'clock in the morning, be home around two in the afternoon? Yeah, two, three. Two, three, if we stayed after school for activities. Right. So this whole film takes place in that seven, whatever hour time right. span. No way. <laughs> it would take them that long to drive in and out of the city. For, for that. But, I mean, they go to the art museum. They go to the ball game. They go... Sears Tower. Sears Tower. Uh, a fancy restaurant for lunch. Um, 
Oh, I mean, the, the sausage, hiking, sausage king of the Chicago. Sausage king of Chicago. So again, would, could never happen in real life, but this isn't real life. This is a fantasy. But uh, Ferris Bueller would be Gets the, the person we either want to be or would want to be best friends with. I remember very distinctly seeing this one in the theater because this is like the first end credit yeah. scene I can Get remember. Yeah, out, Marvel. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. This is the first one where like we were just sat through the credits because uh, the whole end credits is, is Rooney getting onto the bus. Yep. And then at the end, Matthew Broder comes out. And you're still here? What are you doing? You're what are you doing here? Go home. <laughs> yeah, which was just so great. I'd never seen anything like that before and yeah. so smart. And again, Jennifer Grey is fantastic in this movie. The parents, this is really top-notch stuff. This is really, and again, this is one, there's there's uh, maybe a couple problematic things in this one, but nothing, nothing not, crazy. Not like the prior two. This This one's more in the spirit of just like, like teenage hijinks, yeah, yeah. I guess you would you would call it. Yeah, this one you could watch. Like my daughter's ten now, I I, I could almost watch this one with her yeah. uh, without without too much reservation. Yeah. Interesting thing, and they they did it in Sixteen Candles, I think, in a moment where Anthony Michael Hall turns to the camera and goes, "This is getting good." Right. But they in break Ferris the, Bueller, break the they break the fourth wall. I mean, he's constantly talking to the audience, narrating his day and right. a little asides about his interactions with his parents or his friends. Yes. Um, but I mean, some of the biggest laughs come out of those little, you know, asides that he makes to the yes. camera. Yes, and of course the Ferrari. And I mean, it just oh, we could we could talk about this one for an hour. It's such a great movie. And moving on uh, to 1987, to probably my favorite of the Johnny films. If, if most people's favorites isn't Ferris Bueller's Day Off, it would probably be planes, trains, and automobiles. The, um, yeah, it's Breakfast Club, Ferris, or this probably right. This is this is my favorite John Hughes movie. This is my opinion his best movie. I'm not saying again, it's not the time capsule movie. That's the Breakfast Club. Yeah. It's not you know, it's it's not as teenage driven obviously or of any of those films. But this, it's not his most successful film. But this is his best movie, I think. Yeah, I mean, it's become a, a, I mean, it's centered around the holiday of Thanksgiving. So it's become, you know, just like a, It's a Wonderful Life is, you know, the Christmas standard. This is the Thanksgiving standard. Yes. And, uh, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's it's a pretty basic story. It's uh, Steve Martin plays an executive, an ad guy. I think in New York it starts off. Yep. Trying to catch a cab. Kevin Bacon, I believe, is in the very, cameo. Very, very quick cameo. Steals the cab Steals from the Steve cab. Martin. And then uh, Jan, John Candy in in his best role. He, this is his. I, I agree. This is his best performance. I think. I don't think he's ever given a bad performance. I don't think he's no. capable of giving a bad performance. No. He fluctuates between supporting characters and lead roles. But I think of everything in his career, I think this is bar none his best performance. It, yes, a hundred percent. Heartbreaking and J and hysterical at the same time. Yes, John Candy. I don't believe was even nominated for an Oscar for this movie. Yeah, he should have been. He should have won the Oscar. Yeah. I would argue that John Candy's snub for Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is one one of the top five biggest Oscar snubs yeah. of the last 40 years that I can think of. I, again, not nominated as far as I know. Definitely didn't win. I don't know who won that year. We'd have to look it up. I should have looked it up, but they did not deserve it. John Candy deserved <laughs> to win Best Supporting Actor. It is the best performance of his career. It's one of the best performances you'll ever see in a comedy period, the end. Yeah, and I mean, and Steve Martin, equally good. In I mean, Steve Martin's had a lot of stellar role. So it'd be hard to pick a, a favorite Steve Martin film. But I, th I think of of his better work, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles is up there. And I think this film might very well contain the funniest Steve Martin scene of all time. 
Yes. When he goes into a car rental place. I don't think this movie would have gotten an R rating if they That's had taken 100% that, why has an R rating. If they had taken that scene out, but it, to to lose that scene would be a travesty. Yes. That is the yeah, there's a scene, a very famous scene he, he gets the car and it's not there and he's got to hike across a runway and down. Da, 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 he goes da. into a car rental place. Yeah. At going I mean it's And Ed Rooney's Ed Rooney's secretary. Ed Rooney's the, secretary, right. He as Eric said, he's he's trying to get home for the holidays and he's going through all sorts of travel mishaps trying to catch a, a plane, a train, an automobile, etc. So and John Candy he ends up hooking up with who's in the same situation. He's a door-to-door salesman, sells shower curtain rings. Yes. So they're trying to get home for the the holidays and they're going through all kinds of travel mishaps. They finally get a car rental. They get a car reserved after going through all these. Well, they don't do that. He does. He ditches Dell. Well, right, right. So he finally gets the this car rental. Okay, you can finally drive home going after going through all this stuff. He gets to the car rental place and the car's not there. Yes. And like we have all felt across many many avenues of our lives when we become frustrated when things are late or things aren't where they're supposed to be or they've run out of stuff at the store. He goes up to the clerk and just goes off in an F-word tirade yes. that is absolutely He unloads in a... Breathtaking. In a, <laughs> a, a string of F-bombs. And they did record a, a, an alternate version. There's actually a lot of... It's interesting in the 80s, when um, with Hughes, Hughes did a lot of alternate takes of things to cut because for television, he yes. planned ahead. So there's all sorts of weird cable versions of things that are out there. There's all sorts of stuff like the plane, trains, and automobiles trailer. If you look at the original trailer, there's all sorts of stuff that's in the trailer that's not it's in the movie. Film. So he I shot, yeah, he shot an alternate scene of this. So I think on cable, it's not like dropped. It's just different. Yeah. And so, but yeah, that, that scene is why we have an R rating here. And again, I could talk about planes, trains, and automobiles for an hour. It is, it is John, John Candy's best role. He was criminally robbed of an Oscar for this, or at least a nomination. And Steve Martin, again, probably one yeah. of his top roles. I love him in Parenthood also, but this, this is just, I mean, this is great. This is John Hughes's best movie. It's his best script. Del Griffin is his best character he ever wrote, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. Yeah, and and, and not, not to give away spoilers, and I'm not going to give away spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it, but it, it's the kind of film where it's just consistently funny from beginning to end. Scott, if they haven't seen it by now. Well, there might F be somebody out there. There might F be somebody, but, but it, it gets to the, the final act of the film, and there's a revelation about the, the Del Griffith character, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And while you've been laughing throughout the the 90% of the movie's running time, you get to that last couple of scenes, and you're in tears. I mean, yeah, I remember getting choked up the first time I saw it. Yeah, yeah. and I'm pretty sure M. Night Shyamalan, uh, you know, owes somebody a royalty check. Well, it. he's not a ghost. <laughs> I'll leave it at that. No, with the whole revelation. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, so moving on. Uh, there we go. To the next one, 1988. She's having a baby. A little dip down from planes, trains. A little dip down. This is from like the top <laughs> of the Empire State Building to the bottom of the Grand bottom Canyon. floor. This is what a depart. What a bad movie this is. I wouldn't call it a bad movie. There's there again, it's it's about a married couple, a newlywed couple. A married couple of, with no chemistry, with no discernible reason for being together, any why these people are attracted to each other, why they're getting married, why they're staying married, why they're buying a house, why they're <laughs> trying to get pregnant, why they're not getting divorced. This is awful. I can't well, I can't argue with any of those points. I just think as you know, I, I this came out in 
88. So it was a couple years before I got married, three years before I got married. So there's there's things in the movie. I mean, I'll play devil's advocate. There's things in oh. that you can relate to as a with Alec Baldwin or if you're Alec Baldwin being plays typecast, best friends being this typecast pre, as a douchebag pre Jack Ryan Alec Baldwin I mean there's things you can relate to and certainly for couples having wanting to have children there's stuff in there but yeah I mean it's not his best work it's, it is his worst work I mean maybe not maybe there's one more coming up that maybe we could debate but man this is such it the worst part of again this is what I was talking about earlier Hughes works really well in in short pieces of of timeline you know, two to three days. Planes, trains, we just talked about it. Two to three days, they're on the road. You know, Breakfast Club's one afternoon. Ferris Bueller's one day. This takes place over years. Yeah. And, man, you lose the plot quick. The whole through line goes quick. It's very slow. I mean, I rewatched it recently, and it's. I, I was surprised at how slow, slowly paced Here's the best thing about this movie. And this tells you all you need to know about this movie. The best part about this movie is the end credits. The end credits are cute. Because yes. they have all these cameos. I mean... Dozens and dozens of cameos of people you know, including time, John Candy. There you go. Big time famous actors from the John Hughes universe and beyond, you know, giving suggestions for baby names. That's the best part of the movie. I can't, I can't, I can't argue there. Oh, God. I mean, and just, there's just the, yeah, a ugh. lot of the humor falls flat. There's a lot of sequences where Kevin Bacon is either dreaming or daydreaming about certain things, and they cut away to there's a lawnmower musical sequence which comes out of nowhere. Um, but again, a lot of it just falls flat and it just, it's like I said, I mean, I like Kevin Bacon. He's likable enough in this. Um, but, but again, it just, a lot of it falls flat and the, it just, it just slogs along. That's the word. That's the exact word I was about to say slog. That's the word. That's the word <laughs> for the poster. What a slog fest. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, they don't do any favors to Elizabeth McGovern plays his, his wife. They don't do any favors to her character. She's just a very droll oh. character. Like not watching a lot of paint personality. Dry. Yeah, not a lot of personality to it. I don't think she smiles in this movie. No. Once, maybe I'm wrong. I don't think she has teeth. <laughs> as far as I know, she's, she's no teeth. Uh, what a terrible. Anyway, so what a huge, uh, what a stinker this one was. Then, uh, but he does rebound nicely. 1989, we get Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. There Man, we go. Love this, that one. This is a video store movie. I've I've seen Uncle Buck. Of all of Hughes' films, Planes, Trains was was, was the one I've seen the most. Uh, Uncle Buck's probably the second most. For me, it's probably Ferris Bueller. But it's I've, above I've seen Ferris. Uncle Buck a, bu a bunch But of man, times. have I seen Uncle Buck. Uh, I mean, jeez, <laughs> I've seen Uncle Buck. Buck Russell. Uncle Buck Russell. Uncle Buck. Uncle Wart. Yeah, it's, Old it's like... Old uh, melanoma head. I, I, they, I can't remember. The parents get called away for... The, the mother's brother or father has a heart attack, and they have to call somebody. They call all the neighbors. They call everybody Nobody's they know. Nobody's available. And no one's available. And finally, the, the 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 husband says, "What about Buck?" What about Buck? And Buck is his brother. He lives. He's uh, just a, a wandering, uh, I guess, schlub of a man. Uh, he's working for his his girlfriend Denise, selling tires. And he's kind of a gambler. And he and a smoker and a smoker. Cigars. He's on a five year plan. He's gonna <laughs> stop smoking cigarettes. Start smoking cigars. He's gonna chewing tobacco. But he's and, got a big heart. And pipes. He's gonna smoke pipes. Oh, and but he's a lovable big. Teddy Bear of a Man, played by John Candy. And again, one of his best roles. Definitely. Um, again, John Hughes really gave John Candy some some wonderful stuff. Um, I, I got it. Yeah, this might be my second favorite John Candy role. Yeah, early, early appearance from Macaulay Culkin, who would eventually go on to star in Home Alone and obviously yes. become the the child star of that of that time. But he's got a little supporting part. And I think in 
for this film, maybe my favorite scene in this film is the dinner, the breakfast table scene between uh, Macaulay Culkin and because he didn't know he had an uncle. So he's asking Uncle Buck all these questions in rapid fire order. Yeah. To which Buck replies, what's your what's your record for consecutive questions? Right. <laughs> I'm a kid. That's my job. I'm a kid. That's my job. Wait, that's a great scene. I think my favorite scene in the movie is probably when the drunk clown shows up. That's good, too. That's yeah. a great. That's one of my favorite. <laughs> get in your mouse and get out of here. One of my favorite lines. Um, but, yeah, I love Uncle Buck. It's, uh, and again, really. A little dark humor in it from time to time. A little dark stuff. with Bug and all of yeah. that. Um, the the girl that plays the the teenage niece does a wonderful job. She She's just I mean, spitting fire and full of rage and teenage angst and really believable character. Probably Hughes' best female character that he'd written in a, in a while. Yeah. Um, probably since The Breakfast Club at, at that point, because Ferris Bueller, there wasn't or in Weird Science. Yeah, I would say that's his best female character yeah. since The Breakfast Club in terms of the ones he's directed. Uh, the, character, the actor does a great job with it. And Candy is just Candy. He is fantastic. The scene at the party... When they steal his hat and <laughs> and uh, you know that's again these subtle lines and he's like you know they pull up the other parents oh you better not go in there with that hat you know and and um, man what a great film uh, I love Uncle Buck yeah I think I probably like one of the other great lines was when he's talking to his uh, sister in law and he goes you know I quit smoking cigarettes and yeah. she's like oh great he's like yeah I'm into cigars now <laughs> right that's the, that's the point I was talking about and then he's gonna go yeah. to, then he's gonna go to uh, chewing tobacco yep. and then pipes he's on a five year plan. <laughs> So uh, it's a step-down plan. But um, love, I love Uncle Buck. It's really great. Yeah, big hit at the time, too. Big hit, and rightfully so. And then uh, Hughes closes out his directoring run, directorial run. A little bit of a dip again. It takes like a four-year... There's a four-year... No, it's only a two-year gap. I'm sorry. It's a two-year gap between Uncle Buck and Curly Sue. Uh, if, eh. if it wasn't eh. for She's Having a Baby... That's how I can sum it up. Just, eh. This would be his worst movie by far. I think I really? like Curly okay. Sue better than She's Having a Baby. We'll get to that in a second. I, I will agree with that, but we'll we'll get into that in a second. I think it works better as a narrative film. I think it, I think it, it you know, it follows the, I think it follows the, you know, the, all the points you're trying to make with a film, all the, you know, the plot points and the pacing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole story is, is, is a fairy tale. I mean, it's, yeah. It's, no, no way would this happen in a million years. It's asinine, it, the story. There's a bunch of wild coincidences. Wild coincidences. Um, again, really, the characters are really cliché. Very much so. That's another thing, too, especially, uh, what's her name, a place Kelly the lawyer? Lynch. Kelly, Kelly Lynch. Lynch. Yeah, I mean, well, she's this hard-hitting divorce attorney in, like, the first scene. Yeah. Bill holds barred, go for the throat. Yeah. And then in a matter of minutes, she's reduced to just, like, this, like, wannabe, warm mother, nice to yeah. everybody, trying to do the right thing. Right, going to adopt a this child. flip from what the... From what she was introduced as. Yeah, and I will say uh, Belushi is in this, Jim Belushi. Yeah, I mean, he's likable in everything he does. Jim Not Belushi, I think, is really one of the underappreciated, underrated actors. Yeah, I mean, he always he was always in the shadow of his brother, John. Right. You know, but... Uh, he, you know, he was. I think he was a very good actor. We could we could talk about his films someday in another podcast. Yeah, I have a few favorites of of things he's done, but he's just likable in every every man likability. Absolutely, I do like Belushi. Everything he's in, I like him in. He's not a guy I ever think about as far as like favorite actors, but every time he shows up, he does great work. He's like a Kurt Russell that way, man. Like Kurt Russell is one of those guys that like. I love Kurt Russell. He's not as cool as Kurt Russell. Or is handsome, but he is—he <laughs> is—he's uh, one of those. Like Kurt Russell is one of those guys. Like 
He's awesome. And, and he's my favorite actor, Kurt Russell. Is he your favorite? Absolutely. Most people, you know, you name your favorite actors, Kurt Russell never comes up. And uh, and, and Belushi, again, because maybe because of John, for whatever reasons. But, man, he is just, he's great in everything. And he's good in this. He's given really not much to work with in terms of a script or a story or a plausibility. Yeah. But it's he does a great job in this. And the little girl, I don't know, she got Alice, on to do anything else? Actually, yeah, fun fact. Uh, Allison Porter was her name. She plays the the Curly Sue of, of the title, who, who I thought gave a decent, you know, performance for a child. Perfectly performer. well. Very good. Uh, she she continued to act along the way, but what she's known for now, she's actually become a quite accomplished singer. She actually won the 2016 season of The Voice. Interesting. Being part of Team Christina. So she's actually a an accomplished singer. Well, now. she does belt out a couple of tunes in this one, and she does have a fantastic voice even as a child. I mean, she really belted out yeah. the, the national anthem and yep. or the Star Spangled Banner, I forget. Um, which again, belts out the song, crushes it, and they really never do anything with it. No. It's just kind of like an afterthought. Yeah, Somebody must have heard her singing on set and been like, let her sing. Yeah, I mean, the story is, I mean, Jim Belushi's like a homeless guy. He's trying to get a job. He's a vagrant. He's a vagrant, just living day to day, going he's, to shelters, trying to scam people for meals. Yeah, the story that's set up is like he's dating her mother. The mother dies, and he decides to take care of the kid. Yeah, so it's not his natural-born child. It's no. just someone he knew, but he feels responsible for taking in the kid. Why? We don't know. As all homeless vagrants do when they're dating women <laughs> that have children. You know, the when vagrant they... with a heart of gold. Um, so stupid. Yeah, so they they stage, uh, they stage like, him getting hit with... Kelly Lynch is driving a car, Kelly Lynch playing the lawyer. Uh, they make it look like she hit the Jim Belushi character, so she feels responsible, and out of guilt buys them a meal, which is fine. They go their separate ways. But then in a wild coincidence later in the film, she actually hits Jim Belushi with her car. Hard. Hard. Out Hard. of nowhere. And does she take him to the hospital, Scott? Nope, nope. No, take, where does take she take him? To to her apartment. Takes him to her apartment and gives him a bed to sleep in. Her high-rise, luxury, New, expensive New, New York, York Chicago, City. Chicago, high Chicago. Chicago high-rise. Yes, New York City style. I did, we think, I did think we were in New York for a while until I remember, you know, we're watching a Johnny Hughes film, so we have to be in Chicago. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I, we've talked enough about this. This movie stinks. The only good thing I can say about this movie is that it's not she's having a baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's I, I would consider it a little step up. So, all right. So that, that wraps it up. That's the eight films that Hughes directed. Again, he wrote dozens more and uh, produced even, you know, a few more than that. Prolific, prolific, prolific. That's the word I keep using. That was John Hughes. Uh, problematic, yes. Uh, Me, Too, Me Too movement, a lot of this does not fly anymore. It's very much of its time and, and of its place. And I, again, I would recommend highly going and seeking out the Molly Ringwald article, What About the Breakfast Club, that she she penned for the New Yorker back in 2018. It's uh, It definitely will make you think. So, all right. So, pop ranking the films of uh, John, John Hughes. Hughes. From worst to best. Again, we are ranking what he directed. Only, only what he directed, yes. what he directed and wrote. So, number... Eight. Number eight. On my list, going worst to first, number eight, she's having a baby. I, I can't I can't disagree with you there. I, I'd agree. I just think there's so much in that film that falls flat compared to the others. It's it's slow. A lot of the humor doesn't land. The characters aren't particularly likable or memorable. Right. And it just kind of goes. And I think the word we agreed best to describe she's having a baby is 
Slog. 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 <laughs> Slog's along. Okay, so that's that's definitely the bottom. All right, so my number seven, I, I think we're going to have the same number seven as well. Number seven of John Hughes' films, Curly Sue. Curly Sue, I would agree. Step Up from She's Having a Baby, still not a great film. I mean, it's, you know, again, right. it's very... The only good thing you can say about fairy tale Curly Sue routine. is that it's not She's Having a Baby. It's not She's Having a Baby. But we do agree that Jim Belushi... Is likable. I mean, Well, it's... not Jim, I'm sorry. Jim Belushi. Jim Belushi. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah or James I was thinking Belushi. John. James Belushi, Jim Belushi. I got to get confused. I don't know why it has to be J&J. &J, but anyway. No, I mean, it's 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 a decent watch if you've got nothing, if nothing else to do. It's not a it's not bad a movie, watch. but it's not great. It's either. a bad movie. It's a, it's a terrible movie. Okay. Don't subject now yourself gonna, to it. Now we're going to split, I think. All so. right, top six. Number six on my list of John Hughes movies, 16 Candles, the one that started it all. Okay. I'm going Weird Science. Okay. I just think, like I said, Weird Science is a little out there. It's a little bizarre. A lot of big laughs, but I, it's still, the, there's ones coming that I just think are better films. I have to say, we, uh, 16 Candles, I watched it just last night in preparation for this podcast. I, I can't get past. Long Duck Dong is problematic. The The treatment of the, the women in the film is problematic. It does not age well. Forget me too. It doesn't age well, just in a in a decent society kind of way. So I am putting that six um, because of those reasons. Uh, number five on my list is Weird Science and minus sixteen candles. There you go. <laughs> so we're we're not that far off. We're flip flops. Scott's point. Yeah, Weird Science is weird. It's a weird <laughs> film. Uh, but I again, I have a place in my heart for it. I I, I watched it a lot growing up. I, I just I just think it's a weird film, but I, I do think it's it works yeah, it's, on a lot yeah, of levels. It's, it's like like I said, any, any of the movies on this watch, shy of maybe she's having a baby, I think are are completely watchable. Uh, they're gonna get better as we move up this ranking. But uh, yeah, for me it was Sixteen Candles. I think there's there's a lot of humor in it. There's a lot in it to like. Again, a lot of it by today's standards is problematic, but it's got a lot of nice performances in it. All right, so number four on my list is Uncle Buck. Uncle Buck. There All we right. go. We're going to be in Buck. tune fairly, fairly Again, close on this one. Tremendous uh, performance by Giant Candy. There's there's a lot to like in this movie. It's, for the most part, family-friendly. You can watch it. There's really nothing problematic so much in it. It's uh, No, I mean, there's there's some dark stuff involving the the elder daughter right. gonna, going to go to bed with somebody that she doesn't really love and kind of being exploited. But they don't really go into that deeply right. and uncle buck kind of comes in and saves the day so. of course so number three on my list of john hughes's directed films is the breakfast club okay i'm going ferris bueller's day off okay fair enough i um, mean these top three i mean are interchangeable on any given day yes They're now again like fantastic. we said i think the breakfast club if i was uh, gonna make a time capsule not just of john hughes but time capsule of the 1980s i think uh the breakfast club the movie belongs in that time capsule i think mm -hmm. you it, 300 years from now if people want to know what teenagers were about in the in the 1980s, The Breakfast Club is about as good as a representation as you're going to get. Absolutely. Um, there are problematic things in this. The way John Bender treats Claire, especially um, the the scene under the table in the library with his head between her legs is problematic. But generally speaking, this is a really well uh, recognized yeah. film. And one one thing we we neglected to mention earlier, uh, a great performance by Paul Gleason, who plays the. The teacher who's kind of you yes. know monitoring them during their detention he's not always in the room so a lot of hijinks ensue yeah but uh, but terrific performance yeah know, by him and uh borrowing his, his wardrobe from barry manilow that's a nice <laughs> touch uh number two on my list ferris bueller's day off okay number two on mine planes trains and automobiles all right well there you go ferris bueller again i i just uh placed in my in my heart for this one i saw in the theater originally i remember that distinctly seeing this in the theater because of the end credit sequences uh, this is probably 
of all the films, the best cast I'd have great, like in terms of the ensemble, I think everybody in this movie is cast perfectly, every single role. And I, I love Ferris Bueller's Day yeah. Off. I mean, arguably maybe the most rewatchable of everything on this list. I know mm. Planes, Trains is, yeah, is we're getting to my one. number one soon, but yeah. yeah. I, again, it, it, it catch me on what day, any day I can watch Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's like Back to the Future. Any, I can watch yep. it anytime. Yep. Uh, whether it could take place in a day or not, Scott and I, yeah. you know. It's the kind of movie you can kind of jump into in any given moment, and you're not going to lose yes. plot threads. It's just, you know, you can just pick yes. up where you, where you start. So my number one John Hughes film, well, what was your number one John Hughes film? My number one is The Breakfast Club. For all the reasons you mentioned, I mean, again, that's the era I grew up in. This was, again, the first teen film that I really felt for myself at that age that really got it. You know, again, it spoke to different groups and what you're experiencing at that age and what you're going through, the confusion, the pressure. So for me, and as like I said, I think this is for John Hughes, if you, if you think of him as redefining the teen genre, this is the film that did it. Yes. I mean, 16 Candles was a cute teen comedy, but I think this one, while still a comedy, comedy drama, you know, had, had a mix of, a dramedy, yes. had a mix of everything. So for me, you know, The Breakfast Club, that's my, that's my favorite. So that leaves my number one John Hughes film, and that's going to be Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. And I, I mean, I can't fault either one of these films. They're both, they're both great. Uh, I love this movie. I, we talked about it earlier. John Candy, this is his best performance. He should have been nominated for an Oscar, should have won the Oscar for best supporting for this. A comedy generally is overlooked by the Oscars every year, yep. in a year in and year out. This is his best performance, his best role. God, this is a good movie. And Steve Martin is is just phenomenal in it too. And to your point earlier, it's a tradition now on Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. It's, it's the Thanksgiving movie to watch every year. So and I know people who do. So that's yeah. So that that's that's my number one. Scott's again, we're pretty close on this list. There's yep, not a lot yep. of deviation. We agree on the worst, and we're pretty close on the uh the rest of it. I will say the first six movies uh, on this list are all, you know, those are all seven. It's weird to me. They're all like seven out of ten or above. And then the bottom two are just such stinkers. <laughs> it's really incredible that the same man made made all eight. Yeah, I, I wouldn't be as harsh on on the bottom two, but comparatively, there is no comparison. That's right. You know, it's like I said, the, the top six are the top six. The top three, I think, are clearly his best work. But um, yes. you know, if you haven't seen, like I said, if you haven't seen The Breakfast Club, haven't seen Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Who I'm hasn't fuck. seen these movies? Do yourself a favor. I mean, I don't think my son has seen most of these. So. Well, that's a failure. You're a failure, a failure as a of parent. parenting. <laughs> oh, my God. He my daughter's seen, 10. I seen, have an excuse, but she will have seen, seen Ferris these. Bueller. He has seen Ferris Bueller. But, uh, In fact, yeah, just uh, on that subject, I'm, yeah. this weekend, I'm going to watch Uncle Buck with my daughter. Good. All right. Good choice. That's it. We're going to have to wait a little while on the rest of them, but Uncle Buck's going on this weekend, and she's going to hate it because anything not animated, she's not a fan of. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so hey, let us know in the comments section. Let us know your top, you know, top eight or rank them. The the eight John Hughes films. If you love, she's having a baby. Tell me why. I'd love to <laughs> we hear. Really it. need to know why. Yeah, <laughs> I'd love to hear somebody tell me that's their favorite. Uh, if you like what you hear, subscribe. You know, contact us on social media and weigh in with your thoughts. And until next time, I'm Eric Wickstrom and I'm Scott Carroll and that's Pop Ranks. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Pop Ranks, an IDC production. Produced and hosted by Scott Carroll and Eric Wickstrom. Audio engineer, Paul Levin. Executive producer, Marcy Gilbert. Remember to like and subscribe.